I, I'm just thankful for um, kids' program we got. We, I'm a little biased, I suppose, but I just think that we've got a great kids' program. And uh, got some great people working with them. I don't know if you ever stop over in the gym. Uh, sometimes while we're going on in worship service, they're having a riot over there. It's, it's just great. They're doing all that kind of stuff, and uh, they're, they're really showing the Lord, uh, showing the, the kids that uh, you can have a lot of fun worshiping the Lord. Um, now if we can just get the adults to realize that, right? <laughs> Maybe we should all go over there and have the kids. No. No, but uh, they're having a great time, and I appreciate Mary and all the people that are, are helping out there. We're continuing our study in the book of Ephesians. It's good to see you all here this morning. Um, welcome to Minnesota. Once again, we want to remind you, you are not in San Diego. This is Minnesota. My car wouldn't start this morning, which always gets me in a good mood. My, my window scraper broke. My door handle broke. I mean, that's cold. You, you go to lift it and the door you know, handle broke. Oh, it wasn't a good morning, but here we are. Now we're going to get warmed up. Ephesians chapter 3, and I'm reading verses, uh, uh, what do we have in the bulletin here? 16 through 19. You can follow along in the bulletin or you can follow along in your Bibles if you have them. Paul says this, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in the inner being. Talked about that two weeks ago. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Talked about that last week. And I pray that you being rooted and established, or the word there could mean grounded, you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. How do you know something that surpasses knowledge? Think about it. To know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Let's pray. Lord, the gist of, of this passage is, is not about information, Lord. Uh, it's about transformation. But I, I'm very aware, Lord, that words can only impart information. And they're very empty and fall far short of doing what this passage can do, of doing anything really that's of kingdom value. Lord, we pray that your spirit would be present. I can only speak to minds, Lord, but you can apply it to hearts. And we pray, Lord, that your spirit would be active even while the word is going forth to cultivate the soil of our hearts, that these words, Lord, may find rooting there, Lord. Use this message, Lord, to, to, to confront us and transform us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. The passage of Scripture that we're dealing with at this point in our study of the book of Ephesians is, we have seen, a passage that's real, really transitional. The issue that Paul's addressing here, and he's addressing it by praying a prayer, is the issue of how do you get the stuff in your head to become stuff in your heart? Why is it that believers know so much about Christianity and yet are transformed so little by Christianity. 
The analogy that we've been using, and I'm kind of tired of it, but I can't think of a better one, is, is the analogy of a Ferrari or a Lamborghini or whatever you call it. And, and salvation is like this souped-up hot sports car that God gave us in order that we could go very, very fast and lay down some serious rubber for Jesus. He gave us this Lamborghini. And chapters 1 through 3 are describing to us, allowing us to savor and study the contours of this car and the engine of this car. But if that's all the farther we ever get in our Christian walk, and sometimes it is, then the whole purpose for why we have a Lamborghini or a Ferrari is, is defeated. The purpose for a fast car is to go fast. And so we stop at chapter 3 and kind of rejoice in all that the Lord's given to us. And that's a good thing to do, but if that's all we do, then we've really not had happened to us what the Lord wants to have happen to us. Chapters 4 through 6 in Ephesians, we shall see, are about how to drive this car, how to drive it, how to make it go fast. The passage that we're talking about today is really about finding the, uh, the ignition, how to get the engine started. Obviously, if you don't know how to start the car and rev up the engine, all the driving lessons in the world aren't going to help at all. In fact, this is really the foundation and presupposition for the next three chapters. If we don't, know, if we don't learn how to start the ignition then what will happen is when we get driving lessons, we're going to get out and try to push this Lamborghini on our own power. And that will make us very, very tired and that we won't go very fast. We try to do all the do's of the Bible on our own effort. We need to know how to rev up the engine. Three steps we saw in, in revving up the engine. This passage is structured, we saw the last two weeks, in such a way that is really clear in the Greek that each, each clause builds on the one before it. To get to point C, you've got to go through point B. To get to point B, you've got to go through point A. Point A, we saw two weeks ago, is that we need to develop, begin to develop an awareness of the Spirit of God communing with the inner man. Paul says he prays that we would be strengthened with power in the inner man through the Spirit. And that, we saw, was learning how to cultivate a moment-by-moment, -moment, ongoing awareness of the Spirit of God working in the inner man and learning how to yield obediently to the Spirit of God working in the inner man. Step two we talked about last week, and that is, and it follows from step one. We learn how to let Christ dwell in our hearts by faith. Christ lives in everybody. We saw that. He lives in all believers. The minute you believe, Christ comes and takes up residence in your house, the house of your heart. But that doesn't mean that he's at home there. And the word that Paul uses in, the, in, in verse 17 denotes Christ being at home. As we respond to the Spirit of God in our life, Christ becomes more and more at home. In other words, he gets ownership of the house of our heart, and that's why he can call it his home. An essential part of driving this Lamborghini is going to be about turning over the keys to our heart, to, to Jesus Christ. And now this morning, Paul says this. And again, this follows from point B. Go through A and B, and you come to C. And really, they're all facets of one and the same thing. He says that we are to be, he prays that we would be rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded in love. And as we're rooted and grounded in love, he says this, we will grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ that passes all knowledge. And when that occurs, we will be filled up to the full measure of God. Filled up to the full measure of God. The full measure of God. The full measure of God. I was really excited about preaching this verse a couple weeks ago. I, was, I couldn't wait to get here. Because it seemed like it was the climax of everything else. 
But this week I've really struggled with it. Shelly will tell you how much I struggled yesterday with it. I struggled with it. I, uh, and there's two reasons why I struggled with it. Some sermons just kind of come off the press. Just boom, the Lord says, there it is. Other times it's just... Uh, yeah, uh. And this one was a uh, 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 one. It, it, two reasons. One is because it is so rich. It is so rich. Every word is just so powerful. And it's like, I couldn't rather make it coherent. Paul himself says that what he's talking about is, is beyond knowledge. You can't speak it. You can't know it. But it's just my kind of inclination to try to speak it and to try to know it. And when I did that, right around Wednesday or Thursday, I came up with this very convoluted sermon that just wasn't going anywhere, or rather, it was going everywhere, and I thought, this is unpreachable, I don't like it. But there's another even more fundamental reason that I was struggling with it, and I didn't even realize this, that this was the problem I was having until yesterday. But the reason why this, this passage is hard for me is because I'm not there yet. This passage is, 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 is above me. And it's, it's too great for me. I, I, uh, I'm just not where this, where this passage is. And it's very hard, therefore, to preach it. It'd be nice if I could, you know, now, you know, I am the example of being filled with the full measure of Christ, and I'm going to tell you how I got here. Follow me. Boom, boom, you know. You need to be full of the full measure of Christ, like me. And, and that, that's not a reality. Herman Hess, at one point in his life in an interview had said that the hardest book he ever wrote, or a lot of books, uh, a lot of great books, but the hardest book he ever wrote and the one that he liked the least was Siddhartha. It's a story about this guy coming to enlightenment by a river, you know. But the reason why it was hard for Herman Hesse to write was because he had only small glimpses of what he was writing about, and here he was writing about a person that was way beyond where he was at. So he had to try to hypothesize and step into the shoes of this person, but he wasn't writing from experience like he was with all the rest of his books, and that's kind of how the sermon feels. That's kind of how the sermon feels. I have moments, and you probably do too, where you, you, you experience what this verse is talking about. But I don't feel like I'm rooted and grounded in it. And I, I can't pretend like I am. I have moments where, and you probably do too, where... It, does this ever happen to you where you're like in worship and all of a sudden it's like there's a hot beam turned on you and a light goes on and all of a sudden you realize that, that uh, it's true, <laughs> that you really are loved. And you feel, and there's times when I just feel, he loves me. It's like, it's not, I always know it up here. I'm good at knowing it up here. I, I, I program myself. I think about it up here. But there's times when it, the coin drops in the slot where it really gets through. And all of a sudden I realize he really does love me. There's this passionate, burning, fiery love that he's got towards me. And it goes way beyond my knowledge, but I can know it experientially. That's how you know what is beyond knowledge. You can't know it up here, but you can know it down here. And there's times where I just sense that. And there's times when, when I'm just moved with not just the knowledge that I love God, but I'm moved with a real gut kind of love for God. And there's times when I'm just filled with the full measure of, of God towards other people where I just, maybe this happens to you, you're talking to somebody. It's kind of been happening to me lately the last couple months where, where uh, I'm talking with somebody and all of a sudden their infinite worth comes out. And, I, I, and it's like, I don't get a, like a sappy, warm, gushy kind of I love you kind of stuff, but, uh, which is what our culture kind of means by love. But I'm moved towards them. I begin to see them as Christ sees them. And it just happens. But I'm not grounded in that. For whatever reasons, on this issue, I have trouble getting from here to here. And, and uh, I don't walk in that. 
but I'm hungry for it. I'm very hungry for it. And, and what the Lord's been doing with me on this passage is just sort of, is just sort of letting me know that there is a whole other land of Canaan here that I haven't even begun to move in yet. And be okay with where you're at, but know that there's more, and let that move you into, into the more. I'm hungry for that. I want to walk in this. I want to be rooted and grounded in this. I think I have an idea of what it is like. I feel that once in a while, and I want it to be a reality. Let me also just share this. I, I, I'm kind of feeling like the Lord, the Lord is, is uh, beginning to do, partly through these verses here, they've really been hitting me, and it's preparing to, to, to do something new with me, take me to a new level or whatever. But I also have a sense of anticipation for the church as a whole, that, that uh, the Lord wants to shift gears and, and take us to a new level. I don't know what that looks like. You don't know until you get there. But, but to, to have, I don't know, but I'm anticipating a, a new, what, baptism in love or baptism in power or whatever. But I know that the Lord wants to be bringing us along and bringing us to a new level. And maybe it has something to do with Harding. Maybe it has something to do with that being a transitional time. And I want to ask you to be praying. Praying that you would be growing individually in, in, in terms of being rooted and grounded in love, but be praying for the church as a whole and be expecting and anticipating. I challenge you on a daily basis to keep this church, every area of this church, in prayer. The Lord would do whatever he wants. We just want, God, whatever you want to do, we don't care how crazy it is, you do it and, and we'll go along with it. Okay, let's talk about this verse. Being rooted and grounded in love. Rooted is a metaphor. He uses two metaphors here. The first one, rooted, talks about a tree. It's a metaphor of, of a tree. And, and, and a tree, the roots go down into the ground. The roots, the roots are, are, are what keep a tree solid. The roots, the roots are, you know, when the winds come and the storms come, it's because of the roots that that tree doesn't fall over. The roots of a tree are what, are what give that tree its identity. The, the tree is defined by whatever kind of roots it has. If it's got a pear tree root, it's a pear tree. If it's got an apple tree root, it's, a, it's an apple tree. The roots define what it is. The roots give it definition. And the roots, the roots, do you say roots or roots? Who cares? Roots, roots. <laughs> Provide that tree with all of its nourishment. It's through the roots that that tree sucks life from the ground and becomes the kind of tree that it's supposed to be. Grounding or established, there is a, is a building term that Paul uses in this verse. And he says that, that we are to be grounded as well as rooted in the love of Christ. And grounding denotes a, a building. A building goes down into the ground before it ever goes up over the ground. The, the, you, you, you build a foundation for the building. And the length and height and width and depth of... Width and depth? <laughs> The width and depth of the building, um, that determines the structure of the building. Everything that the building is has got to be built upon that foundation. And what Paul is saying here is this. Christ, the love of Christ specifically, should be to us what roots are to a tree, what a foundation is to a building. One of the things you've got to know is this. Everybody has got their roots and grounding in something. Every life lives by virtue of having some roots into something. For most people, those are things like, you can, you, can, you can be rooted in security. 
What you derive life from is a feeling of security. What is, what, what is your basic self-definition? What drives you? What's your goal? What's your aspiration? What colors all of your relationships? What colors all your activities is a need for security. So the kind of tree you grow is a tree where you're always trying to strategize in life to get security. Keeping people around you, keeping wealth around you, keeping comfort around you. You don't want to lose anything, and that's you, where your roots are, so that's the kind of fruit you have. Other people can have the rooting in acceptance. Uh, you know, they need to be accepted. They want people to love them. And so the kind of tree that they grow is, is a tree that's always trying to strategize, to keep people around, to get people to like them, to be popular, to get recognition, or what have you. Where your roots are, that's the kind of uh, fruit you're going to have. Some people, their rooting is in power, a need for power. And so the, the kind of tree they grow is a tree where you're always trying to connive, trying to manipulate, trying to control things, always trying to get your way. You've known people like that. I've known people like that. But where your roots are, there, there your tree will be. Paul calls all of that kind of rooting being in the flesh. What gives your life, what drives your life, what motivates your life, most people don't know this consciously, but it's true. What drives them, what motivates them, what defines them is something like a need for wealth, a need for pleasure, a need for power, a need for security, or a need for people, or what have you. Many times us believers, is it not the case? Maybe most of the time, we have to some degree at least our rooting in things like that. Paul calls it the flesh. And we derive our life from the same thing that non-believers derive their life. And so the fruit of our life, the fruit of our tree, looks pretty much like the fruit of anybody else in the world. As long as our roots are in that kind of soil, we will bear that kind of fruit. And we know that we don't need to have that. We know that we are in a Ferrari. We know the whole plan of salvation. We're believers. We're saved. We've got all of that. It's all true about us. And yet we never cash in on it. We never begin to move in it. We never experience it. We never enjoy the inheritance of peace or the inheritance of power or the inheritance of joy. We never begin to go fast in the Ferrari because our rooting is in some other soil. Paul says that our rooting needs to be in, should be in, can be in the love of Jesus Christ. That's where you get your nourishment. That's where you get your definition. That's where our rooting should be. I think that that means two things, at least. The first thing is this. To, ha to have your root rooting in the love of Christ means, if it means anything, that that comes first in our life. It means, if it means anything, that we are convinced that this rooting is going to stay here however our tree blows. Because this rooting precedes everything else about us. I don't believe that we'll ever, to any significant degree, experience being rooted in the love of Christ so long as we are trying to grow our own tree and bear our own fruit in order to get the love of Jesus to be the root of this tree. Are you following me with this? There is a widespread sentiment, and sometimes it turns into an actual teaching, but it's a natural inclination of the fall anyways, to think this way, that if we just bear good enough looking fruit, and if we just grow a tall enough tree, and if we just look good enough, and if we get our thoughts together, and get our life together, get our holiness together, get our act together, polish up our house, polish up every room in our house, if we just are religious enough and holy enough and sanctified enough, then Jesus will love us. Or at the very least, his love for us goes up and down like some kind of barometer, depending on what the thermometer of our holiness is. 
And if you reach a certain kind of point, then the Lord will become the rooting of your life. And what I want you to know is that that is not being rooted and grounded in love. It's the opposite. That is trying to earn and achieve his love. It's the opposite of being rooted and grounded in his love. That's like trying to grow a tree in order so you can get roots. But you never get roots unless, you never grow a tree unless you first have roots. Or it's like trying to build a, build, build, build a big building so that you can get a foundation. But you'll never build a big building unless you first get the foundation. Point number one of being rooted and grounded in Christ's love is, is not just knowing this, but being convinced of this in our heart, that the love of God, the love of Jesus Christ, precedes everything about us, precedes any kind of fruit, for better or worse, that we grow, precedes the growing of any kind of tree. It's not there because of any kind of behavior. It's not there because of a particular doctrine that we hold to. It's not there because of a certain set of do's and don'ts that we adhere to and avoid. It is there because of Calvary. And what it means to be rooted in, in, in the love of Christ is to have resolved in your heart and to know and be convinced in your mind that how God looks at you, how God sees you, is determined by Calvary and nothing else. And nothing else. This is the core, the center, the foundation of the building in our life. And unless we've got those kind of roots there, then all the trials of life that bend the tree, the winds that come and blow the tree, the temptations that come, the failures that come, the condemnation of the evil one that comes is going to blow the tree over because we don't have a rooting that is there however the tree bends. However the tree bends. Are you following me on this? The love of Christ precedes everything, and it's irrational. It doesn't seem like God's love should be there in this kind of fashion. Unqualified, uncompromising, non-negotiable. It's there, it's done. It doesn't seem, it doesn't jive with our own sense of moral intuitions. How can God view me like that? But that's why Paul says it's beyond knowledge. If you can make sense of Christ's love, you haven't grasped it yet. No, no. If you can make sense out of it, oh, I know why Jesus died for me, and, and I perfectly understand how I'm justified by faith, and God sees me as holy and pure and spotless in spite of the fact that I, I have sin in my life. If you could explain it, if you can understand that, then you have not understood it because the Bible says it's beyond comprehension. It's beyond knowledge. The minute you know it, you don't know it. I love those kind of arguments. The first thing is that the love of Christ comes first. It precedes everything else about us. The second thing is this, the root to have our, our rooting in the soil of Christ's love means that his love is the source of our self-definition and the source of our life, just like a tree. Christ is to us what roots are to a tree. When I ask the question, who is Greg Boyd? In the inner man, when everything else goes around, when I'm no longer trying to be a certain kind of Greg Boyd, and I just ask the question, who is Greg Boyd? There are immediately a ton of kind of answers that come up, a lot of voices that come up in my mind. Voices of the past, voices of the present, voices of deeds I've done, voices of deeds that haven't been done to me. And they're kind of, they all have their own opinion of who I am. You're this, you're that, you're the other thing. And, and if I listen to them, and sometimes I do, then to that degree they become the root of my life. They now have power to begin to define me. To be rooted in the love of Christ means that that defines who you are and nothing else. It means that the way you see yourself, the way you see yourself is defined by what Jesus did for you on the cross of Calvary. It means that you, it means to have your roots in this soil means that they're not in other soil. It means that 
No longer does mom and dad and grandparents and brother and sister and spouse and family and past deeds and employment things and everything else, commercials all around you, no longer do they have the power in your life to define who you are, to define how you see yourself, to define how you feel about yourself, to define the kind of fruit you bear in your life. Who you are, getting convinced of this, is at the root of everything else in the Christian life. Who you are is defined by what God has done for you on the cross of Calvary and nothing else. Let God be true and every man a liar. This is the core of the whole thing. God has, because of what he did for you on the cross of Calvary, a fiery, undying, undying uncompromising, passionate love for you. Your name attached to it. And that's what it is to be rooted in Christ's love is to have this at the center of your being. This defines you. On Monday morning, on Wednesday night, on Friday afternoon, all throughout the day, all throughout the week, it defines who you are. This is how, it means that how you think about yourself is defined by the cross. How you feel about yourself is defined most essentially by the cross. You've got roots in the love of God. To have your roots in the love of God means not only that, that how you see yourself and feel about yourself is influenced by what Christ did for you on the cross, but how you see other people, how you see your wife, how you see your kids, how you see your employer, how you relate to those kind of people. It means that the cross of Christ, the love of Christ, is the center of your being. It's, it's the solid, unqualified, non-negotiable center around which the whole wheel of your life rotates. It means it becomes the driving passion of your life, the motivation of your life, what you're about. It becomes the thing that infiltrates everything that you do. It's the reason why you get up out of bed in the morning, and it means, therefore, that you are free. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. You're free. Because when you've got the love of Christ, and you're rooted in that, and that is what you draw your strength from, you don't need to be rooted in. And you won't want to be rooted in all the other things that people are rooted in. Quest for power, the need for security, the need for acceptance. You want those things, but if they're not there, you don't die. Because your definition, who you are, is in Jesus Christ. Everything about the Christian life, everything about in the Christian life flows out of having a rooting in this soil. When you're rooted in this soil, you're a Christ-like tree. So when you're rooted in this soil, you begin to bear Christ-like fruit. And when you're rooted in this soil, all the winds of shame and condemnation that bend the tree cannot break the tree. And everything in the Christian life that we're going to talk about in Ephesians 4 through 6 comes out of this love. It's all about love. Paul says that. The whole law, all the do's, everything that God wants us to be, all the, things that, uh, all, all the ways that God wants us to walk are summed up in this. Love. Love. Love's got to be at the center. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, that I don't care. If you speak in tongues of men or even of angels, do that. That's a good thing. But if it's not motivated by love, it's a clinging symbol, right? And you can have all the wisdom in the world, and you can have all the prophecies in the world, utter great things, have great revelations, have great doctrine. But if it's not coming out of a fruit of love, if it's not grounded in love and doesn't have love as its aspiration, it is absolutely worthless. And even if you give your body to be burned, he says in 1 Corinthians 13, even if you give all that you have and give it to the poor and do wonderful great deeds, if it's not motivated by genuine love, if it's rooted in other kind of soils like who is watching and what are you getting from it, then it's altogether worthless. 
It's good to be grounded in correct doctrine, but correct doctrine that doesn't flow out of love becomes, becomes rigid dogmatism. And it's good to be grounded in holy living, but holy living that isn't motivated and fueled by love becomes rigid legalism. And it's good to be grounded in the gifts of the Spirit, it really is, and to have an exercise of the gifts of the Spirit. And we, we, we're for that, but if you have the gifts of the Spirit, I don't care how great they are, if it's not motivated by love, what you get is shallow religious sensationalism. Everything in the Christian life has got to be motivated by love. It's fruit that grows from the fact that our tree is rooted in the love of Jesus Christ for us as demonstrated by the cross of Calvary. And there's nothing else to be said beyond that. This is, this is as it were, to, to use this overly done analogy a little further, this is the gasoline of the engine. It's the love of Christ. The gasoline of the Ferrari. And wherever the Ferrari goes, and, and Paul's going to tell us a lot of things about where it should go. Wherever it goes, you know what? It's running on gas. And what is the gas? The gas is the love of Jesus Christ. The love that is already there. That's why this is so foundational. Now, here's the all-important question. How do, how, how do you get that? How do you do that? That sounds really good. But how do you get that? How do you root yourself in the love of Christ? It's interesting that Paul doesn't tell them to root themselves in the love of Christ. He just prays that they will be rooted and grounded in Christ. I don't know how you would do that. Like, one, two, three, and I'm going to dig, now I'm going to root myself in Christ. I'm going to try to dig myself down. I'm going to, see, if I'm going to try really hard to be rooted in Christ, you know what I'm doing? I'm building a religious tree in order to try to get some roots. There's nothing I can do to get that. Except what Paul said in the previous verse. To get to point C, you've got to go through point B. What was point B? Point B was, let Christ dwell in your hearts richly. Let him be at home in your heart. And then he just assumes that when you do that, point C follows. You are rooted and grounded in love. As we let Christ take over our heart, this begins to happen. You know, I, I, last night when I was struggling with this, I just had a time where I, I, I I'll close by just sharing this experience with you. I had this uh, a time where I just was talking to the Lord and kind of like, Lord, I, I, I'm not sure what I'm going to... I don't get this, Lord. I obviously don't get this. I'm realizing that I'm not there yet. Um, and I'm supposed to preach tomorrow. <laughs> and it'll be a short service if I don't. So why don't you, like, give me some help here. And in uh, talking to the Lord, the Lord did something really cool for me, and I want to share it with you. It has to do with, with the, the, the analogy of a house that we used last week. Christ coming and dwell in our heart. And, and when I talk to the Lord, I often picture him just like I picture you. And I talk to him and he talks to me. And I think that's kind of a good way to pray. It makes it very concrete. So I was talking to the Lord. And he gave me this kind of a picture. He came up to this, my heart, my, a house that I had. And the house was my heart. I just was kind of seeing what I was preaching about the week before. And my house was a HUD house. You know what a HUD house is? A HUD house is a house that usually is in kind of bad condition and and uh, there's been people have defaulted on it. And you, when you buy a HUD house, you've got to buy it as is. Okay? No warranty or anything. My house was a HUD house. I believe all of our houses are. It had a great big HUD house sign on it. And the Lord came and he said, I bought this house. I paid the price for it. And I knew that where he paid the price for it was at Calvary. He bought this house. And now he wants to look through it. I've got to tell you one other thing just to, to let, let you know where this is coming from. About three weeks ago, Shelly and I bought a house. Um, we, were, we were actually going to build a house, and, and on the way to look at our land for about the 47th time in a week, uh, 
where we're going to build this. We saw another house. We just stopped by to, to just check it out. And uh, we walked in there, and we ended up loving it, and we ended up uh, putting money down on it. And we walked in there. Shelly, Shelly, she's so cute. I have the cutest wife in the world. She, she was, like, so excited. And she was, like, walking around, you know, and, and, and she, her eyes were, like, bubbling out. And, like, oh, look at this. And then she whispered to me, do you see that? You know, do you see that? You know, and, and uh, I didn't get excited until I saw the price on it and thought maybe it was doable. And then I started, oh, maybe. <laughs> Before that, I was going, ah, it's a piece of junk. <laughs> but she was running around, and, 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 you know, she grabbed my arm and she goes, it's a steal, you know. And then we, we went over to some friend's house, and they came back, Cheryl Jass and, 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 and Marcia Erickson, and they looked at the house, and they're all just walking around here, and they're saying, oh, I just love this, and I love this, great, and da -da. And their eyes are bulging out, what a steal, what a steal. So we stole it. <laughs> Jesus comes over to the, my hut house, and my hut house isn't very clean, and it's not very pretty. But Jesus walks in here, and his eyes are, are, are bugging out, just like Shelly's eyes. He's, he's excited about this house. He's like, what a steal. Look what I'm getting for what I did. What a bargain. And I'm growing in love. I'm being more rooted in love as he's doing this. We go to the library, a place where I don't want him to go. The library we saw last week is the place of the mind, the inner workings of the heart. And I'm, I'm initially kind of filled with shame, and I think, oh, this is really going to damage his excitement. It, this is, you know, this is where the excitement ends, but it doesn't. He goes into the library, and he looks around, and he says, I can do something great with this library. I'll take it just as it is. What a steal. What a steal. And he's all excited. And then we go into the kitchen. We go into the kitchen, and... I want to give him my best dinner. I want to fix him the, the best menu that I've got, you know. But he goes, no, I, I, I want to look at the refrigerator. The refrigerator represents all my heart, all my desires, my passions, and my goals and aspirations, and some of them are not good. And he opens up this refrigerator. And I'm, I'm inside cringing because I know, at least I think, and see, this tells you that I know in my heart he won't do this, but in my, I know in my head he won't do this, but in my heart it feels like he's still going to. I'm afraid he's going to lose his excitement and get angry with me. And maybe he's even going to leave. And he opens the door, and inside of there are, is all sorts of mildewy stuff. Do you ever forget about a dinner for about a year in your refrigerator? <laughs> and you go to take it out, and it bites you, you know? There's all sorts of that foul stuff. And, and Jesus, he doesn't lose his excitement. He says, he says, Greg, you'd be healthier if you didn't eat this stuff. <laughs> but he says, but I know a special recipe. I can make a gourmet meal out of this. And with that same kind of excitement, he goes, let's go downstairs. And we go downstairs. And this is just all occurring as I'm talking to the Lord. We go downstairs into a room that's called the shame room. And here I begin to see how I have had trouble being rooted and grounded in Christ's love as, as, as much as I could have been. Because I do not want to let him into that room under any circumstances. I just don't. I put my arms like this, and I say, you don't want to go in there. You don't want to go in there. He doesn't bulldoze me over, but through his eyes, he tries to tell me, Greg, haven't you learned yet? It's a HUD house. I bought it as it is. I think it's a steal. I think it's a steal. I know it's in the room. I love the room. I can do something with this room. I gradually let him peek inside. First of all, there's a foul smell that comes out of the room but it doesn't diminish his excitement over my house, the house of my heart. We look inside of this room, and first of all, 
it's the largest room in the house. I thought it was going to be this little tiny little cubby thing, you know, little dump room. It's just like gymnasium. And it, it is full of trash, folks. It's full of trash. It's where I have thrown everything in 30-some years to keep all the other rooms somewhat clean, which isn't saying a whole lot, but they would have been a whole lot messier if I didn't stuff it all in here. It's a pain room. It's a shame room. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've got a closet that's maybe the size of a gymnasium in your heart too. And I look around there and there's this vile mess. There's an overflowing toilet in there. There's all sorts of broken pictures of very sad memories and they're all around there and it's just filthy. But Jesus says, what a steal. What a steal. I can, I can turn this into my best room. He's excited about the room. And on the floor, there's, on the floor, and I don't know what this means. If there's a therapist in the house, you can tell me later. But, 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 but there's this blanket, a blanket that I used to sleep with as a kid. And, it, and the blanket is just, first of all, I'm very sad about it. I'm, I'm very sad. I want it to stay in the room. And it's, it's, it's a dirty blanket, and it's got holes in it and mildew on it. And he picks it up. And he says, you lost this a long time ago, didn't you? I think you want it back. I can clean up this blanket. I can clean this up. I can make it cozy again. Does this come with the house? I want it to be part of the house. And see, all the while that Christ is doing this, my love is getting a little more rooted, more rooted, more, more, more founded. I'm becoming more and more convinced. If I just let him in the smelly room, I become more convinced that, in fact, it's me he loves. It's not the cleanness of my rooms. I get more and more convinced. I know it up here, but it becomes more of a reality down here when I can see the love of Christ going into each and every room. And if I just surrender it to him, he goes in there. He doesn't run away. He doesn't get angry. He gets excited about it like Shelley does. And he says, what a steal. I die for it again. What a steal. I want to live here. I want to set up shop here. I want this to be my home. Every part of it, I want to be mine. And it's at that point that I begin to see I begin to know what this verse is talking about. I get a little glimpse of what this verse is talking about. Now I begin to see what is the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of the love of Christ. It goes to my upstairs. It goes down into the shame room. It goes into every living room, every kitchen, every bedroom. It extends the whole house. I begin, when, when I stop boxing Christ in with my no trespass signs because of my fear or whatever, when I stop boxing him in and just let him take over, he fills the room. And I begin to see. I begin to see. What I already know is true, I begin to see it. When I give, this is the value of confessing sin. When I put before Christ all the reasons I would have for him not loving me, and he, in his insane love, keeps coming after me again and again and again, then I get reconvinced and reconvinced and reconvinced that he really means it. He really means it. And I get more rooted in love. And then as each room, each mess room is filled with his presence, I come to be filled with the full measure of God. I come to be filled with the full measure of God. His love and his joy and his peace goes into the stuff. He gradually begins to change his stuff. I'm filled up with the full measure of God. At that point, it begins to flow out the windows, and that's where the Christian life starts. This is the engine, folks. Some of you this morning, maybe you've never asked Christ to come in in the first place. And I want to invite you to come forward here at the end of the service and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's simply a prayer away. He comes and he takes up shop. You can begin to do something with the house of your heart. 
Others of you are believers. Maybe you've been believers for a very, very long time. Maybe you've been a believer for 25, 30, 45 years, but there is a room, or maybe there are several rooms, and there are no trespassing signs there. It's never too late to just say, I want to see what is the height and the breadth and the width and the depth of Christ's love. To take down the no trespassing sign. If you want to come forward up here at the end of the service and pray, we invite you to do so. There'll be some people who would be glad to pray with you. I invite you to come forward and pray with them if, if you'd like to pray with somebody. Let's stand and close. Can we just sing this song? This whole message is so simple and yet it's so profound. And so is this song. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Well, we can never know. We can never know your love with our heads we can experience it with our hearts. Lord, we ask you to come and take ownership of every room, especially, Lord, the shame room, the memory room, the pain room, the mess room. And Lord, if you need to do some work on us today, I pray you just put in, in people's hearts the motivation to come forward and pray, pray if that's what they need to do. Show them, Lord God, that you are safe. You do not leave. You will never leave or forsake us. You do not get angry, Lord. You're just in love. Transform us. You're so beautiful, Lord, and we pray for you, Lord. In your name.